0: What's up, guys, and welcome to episode nine of the Aaron Wayne podcast. Hello, what's up, guys? Thanks for joining me. I uh, recorded a podcast for this week and then listening back to it, I was like, That's kind of garbage, and I think the reason behind that is, uh, you know, I'm kind of out of practice. I was talking to a buddy of mine on the phone yesterday uh, after my run, and I was like, uh, you know, I I posted like five, six of these things, and then uh, you know, listened back to a couple of them, and a couple of them are a bit janky. But as I was getting more and more into it, I was uh, getting more into the flow of just kind of being alone and talking. And the last two that I recorded to put in, I'm working towards 10 podcasts, which feels awesome, but the last two that I did were not that great. But if you listen to them, cool, awesome, good for you, and uh, thanks for listening. So, a couple things on my mind today, man, I'm uh, the school board in my school district just voted uh, finally, um, they sort of kicked the can a bit until Labor Day, and they finally decided that we are, in fact, going back to school, so... You know, I got a lot of thoughts about that that I might share, um, but right now my body is so sore. I did. Um, I'm finally back into teaching public classes, which is awesome that we can do that safely and in a socially distanced way, and you know, wearing masks in the lobby at my yoga studio and stuff. So it feels great to be back doing that, teaching uh, in front of people, because that is a very missed experience uh for me as the teacher when doing it online and t- dude honestly if you're doing yoga online and you're practicing yoga online you know what i mean it's it's different when you're at home it's like you know the dogs are distracting if i'm teaching um you know my wife has to like corral the dogs into the living room and try and keep them from barking and like that's a whole um that's a whole dynamic there but teaching in front of people is like you know, you get the energy back, which is awesome. Instead of just giving the energy. So, um, I taught a class yesterday with my buddy Jen and she's a, a yoga teacher and a fitness instructor. So we're doing this thing where it's 30 minutes of fitness and then 30 minutes of yoga. And so she teaches the fitness, which is like, you know, high intensity interval training. And then I teach some yoga and dude, my glutes, my fanny is burning today. Like right now I'm seated cross-legged, uh, doing the podcast with you guys and my, my hips, like my hip rotators are just so sore. So like just sitting like this is a crazy stretch. And this morning, um, my wife was getting out of bed and she sounded like, you know, she got hit by a car. I mean, she was like, like creaking and like, um, yeah. So here we are getting back into fitness, but the thing is, is like, I hadn't left the fitness game behind, it's just like, that type of fitness, where you're doing, uh, high intensity intervals of varied movements, it's a whole different experience, versus running, which I've been running pretty consistently, for the last month or two, um, dude, I did some running in, on our cross-country trip, I did some running in Moab, in the desert, they do the Moab 240, or Moab, 205 or something like that it's a couple hundred miles they do this this race over a couple days through moab the desert and the mountains around there and it is a stunning place to do a run i did a run um i'd like left katie was still asleep like seven in the morning and i just ran into the desert like a crazy person just like running into the desert a couple people saw me and like because we were camped on this blm land um Bureau of Land Management and uh, you know so people just kind of camp, park, post up, do their thing and I saw a couple people like getting out of their tents and out of their campers and stuff and I'm just running by I saw a bunch of cows I saw a sign that said dinosaur tracks there's a a little sign on this trail and I was like I'm going there I want to see some dinosaur tracks I have to sneeze oh boy hold on (coughs) There it is. I sneezed it out. We're good. Now we're back to it. So I was running and then I saw a sign for dinosaur tracks. ran and ran and ran. Turns out no dinosaur tracks. So that's that. Dude, I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast the other day and uh, David Cho, who's an artist, I think I think he made his money because early days of Facebook, they paid him in stock in order to, and this is like 2007 or something like that, early days of Facebook. Um, and when it was like only college students that could get Facebook, I remember when I got to college and I was like, now I can get a Facebook because you originally had to have like a college email or something like that to get Facebook. And my freshman year, I'm sitting in my dorm and I'm like, okay, who else goes to Radford? And I just added like a hundred people that are in the, um, graduating class of 2011 at Radford university. And yeah, I didn't know any of them. I mean, it's like 5,000 people or something, and I just, like, added random cats. I need a sip of water. Mmm. Yes. I had my greens this morning. I had, I drink powdered greens for breakfast because I'm super healthy, and you're welcome. You should be doing it too, powdered greens. Um. So I have that for breakfast, but it, like, makes my throat... <clears throat>, <clears throat> makes my throat a little coffee, but that's okay. Um, so, yeah, I added all these people on Facebook and, uh, you know, played the game, played the Facebook game for a while. And then, uh, yeah, so David Cho is looking for dinosaurs in the Congo, apparently. So David Cho did all the artwork. He got paid in stock, uh, and then the stock exploded for Facebook. And so he was on the Rogan podcast the other day, and he was, like, hunting for dinosaur like apparently he had heard a story and this is like probably I don't know maybe before or after he got rich on Facebook I don't know when it was but it was not recent it was like not within the last 10 years and he's like okay well they say there's dinosaurs there's some dinosaurs in in the Congo let me go check it out and uh he did and then he got lost in the Congolese jungle I think he said Congolese he got lost and then he's lost for, like, two weeks with this guy. And then they're hiking, hiking, like, realizing that they're probably going to die because they're out of food. Um, luckily, they had water filtration so they could filter the water. And uh, then he sees this, like, um, he said pygmy. I don't know if the pygmies are in the Congo, um, but so the, but that's the term he used. I would just say maybe it's a native person that lived there, like, tribal living in the Congo. And they, like, found this this guy and tried to translate like, Hey man, we're really hungry and we're lost. Can you help us? And, but they didn't speak the same language. So, um, long story short, he ends up getting back to this village and they like, you know, give him fruit and honey and meat and all this stuff. And then he gets back to the States. I tell you all that to tell you that his Congolese, again, might not be the right term, but his, his journey through the Congo to find dinosaurs was as unfruitful as my journey to find the dinosaurs in Moab, the dinosaur tracks in Moab. Um, so, are dinosaurs out there? I don't know. There's some people that think that dinosaurs aren't real and that they were planted by the flat Earth, the flat Earthers. Dude, the state of people understanding the world is so crazy right now. I don't know, I, you know, my last podcast where I'm probably going to ditch it, I brought up the idea of, um, like, should I be talking about current events and politics and stuff? And it's just like, it's so hard not to, but it's also so hard to listen to everybody's opinion and thoughts on like, well, what I think about Biden or Trump or what I think about, cause that's, it's, uh, what's today's date? It's like mid August, 2020. So we have the election coming up, the 2020 election. And it's like everybody has an opinion on these guys and their uh, VPs um, and just the state of politics. And it's like, uh, just, it's so interesting that um, I have a friend of mine who thinks that democracy, um, that not everybody should have the ability to vote. And on the face of it, that seems really crazy and I'm not advocating for it, but then it's, but it's just like, I think that a person, and this is not my, my. I, I think everybody should have, just to, be, just to be clear with you guys, I think everybody should have the right to vote, including felons. I think when you become a felon, you lose your right to vote, which seems a bit peculiar. Like, I can get behind, if you are a violent felon, that you shouldn't be able to own a gun, which that makes sense to me. Um, and, you know, if you're a violent felon, I don't know, I don't know, I haven't thought enough about that. Um, violence is a very tricky topic but i think that um everybody should have the right to vote but like the real question is is like are we all qualified for the job you know like obama gave a speech last night at the dnc and he brought in what one of the big points that he always brought in during his his candidacy and his presidency which is like it's not my job it's also your job as a citizen right and so Everybody that has an opinion on politics, it's like, how many books on politics have we read? I don't think I've read any, but my friend who says that we all shouldn't have the right to vote, um, he is a political, he was a political science major and you know, he's got a master's and he's like an educated guy who's working hard in the world. So I don't know. I don't know. You probably don't want to hear about politics, and that's fine. So instead, I'll tell you about my dog breaking my shower in the van. So I was out in the world, living my life. We were traveling in our van, and our shower door in the van is uh, this really – it's made of plastic, so it's not like – and it's not like a sharp plastic. So she didn't hurt herself, so like just to preface that, because you picture running through a shower door, and it's like that sounds traumatic, and like it probably kill you, but – um, this isn't like that. It's in our. It's like an RV uh, style shower door. It's actually used in yachts. So we like bought this premium shower door, and it's like this really thin, flexible plastic that when you close the door, it rolls up into a canister, and then when you open the door, it unrolls, and that rolling process, like squeegees the water off, so it stays really clean and hygienic in the shower. And um, we were out with some some folks and um, we happened to be doing some target practice and shooting guns and it scared Layla and she jumped through the door and that had me reflecting on like I probably like should be if I'm gonna do target practice stuff should not have my dogs in the van but you don't know until you know do you know what I mean like we don't really do that and it just happened that we were with people that were doing it. And it was like, oh, let's let's do some of this. This is like, let's see what the hubbub's about. And so we did. And then I was like, I should go check on the dogs because that was really loud. <laughs> and turns out she had jumped through our big door or our big expensive door. So uh, I sort of tapped out on that for the rest of the day. And uh, now we have this like janky shower door that as soon as you open up our sliding door, we had this like beautiful door with like the galley sink with this really nice blue color that Katie had picked out and the hardwood countertops that I made and like cedar ceilings. And then now that the door's broken, you open the door and you just look right at our toilet, which is just (laughs) just, like not attractive. So like we had a, a senior teacher at the yoga studio. She's like, she was super sized that we were, um, doing the van thing. And like, you know, we'd had many conversations and she and her husband want to do some travel similar to that. And she's like, Oh, I, I saw her at the studio. Cause I, like I said, I've been teaching public classes, um, maybe once a week now. Um, and she was at the studio and she's like, Oh, I want to see your van. I was like, Oh, I don't want you to see it <laughs> because you know, like as soon as you open the door, you're just going to see my toilet there. So speaking of travel, we'd, um, we, uh, We make this mistake every summer. We've done it every summer. So, like, as public school teachers, we get a couple months where it's like, you know, you check your emails, you kind of think about the next school year, you do a little bit of light planning, but for the most part, you know, we have the summers to travel and do and live our lives, and um, it's really interesting to hear all of the opinions that people have about teachers right now because there are a lot of people... And this comes back to the politics question, right? Like how informed are you actually on politics when you make a decision for a political candidate? There are a lot of people that are having strong opinions about teachers that um, have not been in a classroom since they were a student, um, which was for most people like 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And they might have been in a classroom and had a terrible experience because there are a lot of crappy teachers out there. And uh, it's really interesting to hear this like political conversation. First of all, the going back to school should not be a political conversation. We should just be listening to the scientists because it is a public health thing. So, if the scientists say kids don't transmit the disease and therefore schools are safe to go back to, or if they say um, the risk of infecting the staff and faculty is too great in order to do this safely, then that's what we should be listening to. So, like, whatever the balance of evidence. My opinion, your opinion, it doesn't really matter because it's about science, right? It's like we're doing the same thing with climate change. It's like what does your opinion matter when it comes to the changing like the the planet warming up and the rivers and oceans being polluted it's just it's just crazy, but you know Facebook and David Cho have connected the world, and now everybody is connected, which on the face of it seems like a really good thing and I think that um you know, Zuckerberg probably got into the game. Cause he's like, if we can connect the world we can solve some problems and no doubt a lot of problems have been solved. Um, and technology and connection, like my yoga teacher trainees, like they stay connected on Facebook, even when we, before we were doing COVID. Um, but especially now that we're like living in an isolated, uh, world, things like Facebook are crucial to keep people connected. I see pictures of my nieces and nephews, you know, I see, My mom does really nice woodworking and she posts that pictures of that online, these really cool tables and benches and stuff that she makes. And I wouldn't see that otherwise if it weren't for Facebook, but also it gives everybody an opportunity to express their opinion. And it's important to know that most people's opinions are not as informed as the professionals in their fields that they're discussing. For example, education. I, I am not you should not listen to my opinion on, um, uh, wiring a house or, um, even politics. You shouldn't really listen to my opinion cause I'm not as informed as I could be, but I am a professional in the yoga industry. I am a professional, uh, English teacher. So like, that's my sphere. That's my space where I can have an informed opinion where people should be like taking that seriously. And it's so interesting to be in this space of like schools opening and looking at the school board and thinking about, you know, everybody, the school board, we watched the thing today's Thursday. We watched the school board meeting on Tuesday and each school board member was saying, you know, I'm getting, you know, hundreds of emails, half of which are saying we should go to school, half of which are saying we shouldn't go to school. I'm getting, um, you know, phone calls, letters, all this. And it's like why do people think that they have in in something that should be completely led by science which is the like the health and well-being of a society when it comes to a dangerous pathogen it's like people who study that should be working on that decision not the public like we shouldn't i'm not informed enough and so i don't know i started that little rant to bring up <laughs> The fact that we traveled this summer and we make this mistake every summer. I don't even know how I got to where I was right there. I have no idea how I got there. Is this podcast supposed to be funny? I don't know. I don't know. I got there because I was talking about the garden. And we made a garden. And I had these caterpillars destroy it before we left. And then Katie and I spent a day weeding it and like getting it ready and laying down cardboard to prevent weeds from growing in certain spots. And then also to hold moisture, which I think is a pretty good idea putting down cardboard. Like, you know, who's not ordering from Amazon, you know what I mean? And you have all these boxes and you just take them to the dump, use them in between your tomato plants to prevent weeds from growing in there. I mean, I just thought that was a genius idea. So you're welcome. Take that with you. You listened for 20 minutes and you got a piece of information that you can take into the world. You're welcome. So we weeded the garden, got it ready. And then we're like, okay, now let's go travel for six weeks. And then we got back and the yard was like, I was afraid to mow the lawn because I was like, I'm going to run over a snake or a rabbit or something like this is insane what this this yard has turned into. And then the garden, Mm -hmm. all these deer had like, because we have dogs and we have enough property that when I let them out, they just are, they run free. And, uh, so like that is a deterrent. In fact, Layla will do this thing where she see Layla is 11 years old and her eyesight isn't great, but Nash is like five or six and he has great eyesight. It, it, like for some reason, Chihuahuas, maybe they have exceptional eyesight or maybe his eyesight is exceptional in contrast to Layla. Who's just this old dog, but she has like, Layla has this like spry energy. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know how she's as energetic as she is at her age because in dog years she's 77 years old. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Nash is uh, he, he sees deer and he's like, row, 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 like he'll throw a bark at it, and then Layla's like, What's that? and she'll like peek around, and then you can see she'll sniff the air and she'll start running in a direction that she smells deer. And then you can see that as soon as the deer moves, she's like, oh, there it is. And then she'll chase it to the perimeter of our property, which is like three acres. So she's still within eyesight. And that is, uh, it keeps the deer away. keeps the deer out of our garden. um, And then um, they don't eat all of our plants. So like dogs are a natural deterrent for deers. Deer, not deers. How many times have I said deers in the last two minutes? Don't make fun of me. All right. The podcast that posts this Monday uh, in like four days. Katie spends a fair amount of time making fun of, kind heartedly, making fun of my uh, poor spelling. So there you go. I'm not a great speller, and that's okay. So the deer ate a whole, all of our beans, right? They crushed our beans and um, the cucumbers when we got back, were pumping pretty hard. They were doing pretty well. We have so many cucumbers. Katie made a cucumber salad. Um, and if you don't know what a cucumber salad is, congratulations, you're not a hillbilly, but c- cucumber salad is delicious. It's like mayonnaise, vegan mayonnaise, uh, a little vinegar and onions. And then you just like cut all that up, mix it all up, some salt. And it makes this like really nice, It's almost like coleslaw, but not really. And using fresh cucumbers makes a huge difference. It's like, yeah, that's where it's at. Hmm. Yeah, man. So, hmm. What else you got? I'm still sore. I'm telling you, my body is still sore, um, which is a good thing, man. I really want to step my fitness up. I, uh, I had a dream last night, actually. So Matt do you, I don't know if you know who Matt Frazier is, but he won um he won the CrossFit games like the last couple years and um I had a dream last night here, Freudian to analyze this. This is a weird dream. I have a dream that I'm walking and then I get to a house and then I walk into the house and it's Matt Frazier, but it's like my family. And it was like a family reunion gathering kind of thing. And, like, everybody's eating, having fun. And then um, Matt Frazier's sitting on the couch. And I walk by, and he pinches my butt. What does that mean? What does that say? I don't know what that says. But it wasn't in a way, like, that he wanted to pinch my butt because he was into me. It was a, like you should be squatting more. In fact, like, you know how, la- uh, language sometimes is lacking in dreams, but you understand the intent without the language. It was like, he, he was like, dude, you're not squatting enough. And then I th- like, now that I'm saying this out loud, it's like, no, I'm not squatting enough because in that fit asana class yesterday, um, we did some squats and, and Matt Frazier in the dream was like trying to sell me a squat rack. <laughs> like, he's like i can get you one for four hundred dollars i was like i don't have four hundred dollars buddy i'm sorry but in that fit asana class yesterday my buddy jen's leading us and she's like okay next set 20 air squats and i was like Psh, got this i get seven squats in just air squats no weight just like straight up squats and i was like this is burnt this is tough and then we had to do a second set of it and then we had to do sumo squats and i'm like this is i think that's why i dreamt it that's why i dreamt it i don't know what matt fraser has to do anything with anything i think it's because like he is the according to the crossfit games he's the fittest man on earth so i don't know and maybe i'd seen him on instagram that night before going to bed dude how many of you guys are on instagram before going to bed oh my god it's such a bad habit I listened to a podcast with this um, neuroscientist. He was talking about dopamine and how we have these like dopaminergic urges to get on to get on our phones, and I was like, "Yeah, that's true." The last thing I do at night, if I'm if I'm doing what I'm supposed to, the last thing I do before going to bed, like I do sort of until I fall like get too sleepy to stay awake, is read, and that's maybe sixty percent of the time. 40 to 60% of the time, but usually before I start reading, I'm on Instagram and I'm just scrolling, not even really paying attention, just scrolling. And then the first thing I do in the morning is, uh, I grab my phone, use the restroom and I'm on Instagram. And that's like a terrible habit of just, it's such a bad habit, but it's like, I can't break it. And then I'll, I'll catch myself in the morning, and I'll be on Instagram, and I'll be like, hey, Aaron, do you remember you said you weren't going to be on Instagram scrolling? And then I'm like, yeah, but I really want to. So what is that? Here's some more water. Mm. Yeah. I just keep coming up with this idea that keeps coming back to me because the social media platforms are designed to keep us engaged with them. Um, so that they can sell advertisements just like, you know, CNN. I watched the democratic national convention and, uh, I watched it after the fact on Hulu and that Hulu still has commercials, which is like, why am I paying for this service? If they're still giving me commercials, like that's the whole point of streaming. Like Netflix isn't giving me commercials. HBO is not giving me commercials. YouTube, um, plus or YouTube red is what it's called. Like they're not giving me commercials. So it's like, why is Hulu still giving me commercials? And why do I accept it? Probably because they have things on Hulu that they don't have in other places, which is uh, the Democratic National Convention. I was watching it and it's like, it's crazy. You'll see an ad for like Facebook music videos and TikTok. And then next to it is, there was one ad that was for some sort of heart medication. And within the first six seconds of this uh, commercial, it's like this guy and he's like, Pat, he's got his he's on a kayak and he's in the middle of like a huge lake in the northwest or in um the north and uh he's just like paddling and he's got the big old smile on his face and uh he's in a kayak and he's got his dog at the front you call that the stern or i think it's the bow i think the bow is the front it's either at the stern or the bow but either way it's the front and this dog is just like sitting there with his life vest like hey what's up man like Hey, how's your heart? Did you take your medicine today? Cuz I love you. And he's just paddling and smiling. And the drug is uh the f- in the first like 7 seconds it's like um um drug this drug uh prevents going to the hospital and death. It said something like that was so stark and like right in your face. And uh and then it starts rattling off the side effects like about like if you're pregnant or it'll, it'll kill, like it's just like the worst stuff like it's so intense and and then it has me thinking why are why do we not have an ad that says if you eat healthy and exercise most of you won't have a problem and need a pill <laughs> it just seems it just seems so crazy um yeah the, the and so the commercials are like they're, they're, it's almost like our TV programming is, that was a loud pop, sorry uh, it's almost like our TV programming is designed to just get us from commercial to commercial, like it's just enticing enough to keep us moving so that the commercials so that they can pay their bills and it just doesn't seem like a, an effective model for uh, actually disseminating information, like the Democratic National Convention should be free of advertisement it shouldn't be something like our democratic process should not be subsidized by ads. It, so you'll have these like a TikTok ad and then a heart failure ad. And then you'll have, and like the, you know, allegedly politicians are taking on big pharma. Do you know what I mean? Like they say these things like, this candidate is taking on Big Pharma and making sure that drug prescription prices are affordable. It's like, dude, you're the whole convention is subsidized by that. Like, are you really taking on Big Pharma, bro? Like, are you really setting brass to these companies? They're paying your bills. And so, like, sometimes I think about how, um, These subtle forms of, it's not even so so subtle, but I mean, these subtle forms of keeping us engaged with media is preventing us from reading books and it's preventing us from having time where we're not distracted, um, where we can focus on a task. And so how many people, we have 7 billion people on this planet. You can tell me that there's not a Buddha or a Jesus or an Einstein or a Susan B. Anthony, who somehow was pardoned by Trump recently. <laughs> like she died in the early 1900s and he pardoned her. What a. It's so manipulative. It's just like, was that really on your mind, Trump? Is that really, was that in your crawl? Like, I would love to go, I would love, here's my Trump, China. That's all I got. It's not even that good. But is he really like stuck on man, I would love to get this wall built, but first things first, Susan B. Anthony needs to be pardoned. It's like, dude, who in the history of this country looking back is saying Susan B. Anthony like needs, like who's, who's looking back and condemning her record. Do you know what I mean? Like in looking back and saying like, you know, uh, she, you know, Say what you will about Susan B. Anthony, she deserved the charges drawn up against her. It's just so ridiculous. It's so, it's so um, token, and um, that might not even be the right use of that word. It's pandering. It's like it's it's a form of manipulation. One of the things that I try to do in my life is to prevent myself from being manipulated. Top three values for me i got my values board up here right here in the office top three values are um actually don't have them written on there but they're written on the whiteboard in our kitchen my top three values are autonomy authenticity and growth and when i look and i invite you to um look up um, nonviolent communication NVC uh, by Marshall Rosenberg and check that book out and kind of figure out what your top values are. And then you can start to look through, you can start to see the world through the lens of your values, um, which is huge because when something gets in your crawl, keep saying that when something gets your goat, something grinds your gears, something grabs your gittle, you can see, like, does is this, is this bothering me because my values are being met or being challenged or not being met? And um, when I look at my top three values, autonomy, authenticity, and growth, and then I look to much of what we consume in the world, it's like some of it, so much of it is inauthentic and trying to manipulate us to purchase things or to keep us tuned in long enough so that they can just show us an ad so it can get into our subconscious. Um, So that takes away uh, this inauthentic and also takes away our autonomy because though we may or may not realize it uh, or we may realize it to a more lesser degree, people are trying to convince us of things. And if if we can't quiet ourselves enough to listen and notice and if we haven't established what our needs and values are, we're just going to be swaying in the wind. It's like we're these big, powerful trees, which is what a human is. A human is a powerful, powerful thing. Um, It can have vast impact on the world and and people and animals, both for the positive and the negative. And if we don't realize how powerful we actually are, then we're just these, you know, just kind of swaying, swaying as people try to influence us, which takes away our autonomy. And I'm not into it, not into it, man. So sometimes I think about like how many true geniuses there are out there, which is a form of privilege in of itself. And that privilege should be utilized for the common good. And if, if you've got the next, Oh, I don't know. Name somebody. I got a Buddha statue in here. So I'll just say Buddha. If you're the next Buddha and you've been programmed, I mean, programming is such a harsh word. I sound like a conspiracy theorist. How about all the conspiracies goodness like somebody said i just watched a press conference should i be talking about politics i think i'm going to because you're probably not listening right now anyway so whatever i'm just talking to myself which is fine uh i just watched a a press conference that trump did uh, the day after the third day of the dnc and somebody asked him um about QAnon, which I don't know anything about QAnon. I know very little. Um in fact, I don't know really anything about QAnon. But I think I think there's thesis I don't even know if I want to say what I think it is because then it's like I'm propagating something like QAnon could be for all I know an actually a righteous organization or it could be like a really like crazy organization. I don't I just don't know. But um, apparently what it is, uh, according to this news reporter who asked Trump the question, she asked uh, Trump, like, hey, you have a lot of supporters in the QAnon movement. Like, what do you think of that? And then he goes off, like, you know, people support me. They love me. It's great. It's fantastic. Um, And then she, like, follows up. He goes to, he's like, you, sir. You, sir, in the back. And she's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand the question. QAnon and what she said. QAnon, this is what she says QAnon's beliefs are. QAnon believes that you, Trump, are saving the world from pedophiles and cannibals. What? Is that what they believe? That this is the guy who's saving the world from cannibals? Side note, my worst fear is cannibalism. I thought I'd just leave that with you. I don't know what your worst fear is, but my worst fear is cannibalism. We can talk about it later, but I don't want to talk about it right now because every time I talk about it, it genuinely is my worst fear and it makes me uncomfortable. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore, but it's my worst fear. Ask me about it. Send me an email. Hello at airwayneyoga.com. Tell me what you think about cannibalism. And then he goes back into like saying like his response to her saying these people think that you are saving the world from pedophiles and cannibals. He says, is that such a bad thing? What? Dude, he has no I'm not going to go into it. I uh I t- and then I tweeted today I was like um I genuinely 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 would love to talk to somebody who plans to vote for Trump in 2020. Um I am willing to be convinced. I am willing for someone to provide the proper argument that he is the better candidate because I have no idea why somebody would vote for him in 2020 and on on good faith if you reach out to me Aaron Wayne Yoga on Instagram hello at AaronWayneYoga.com I would love to hear what you have to say about this because I don't understand why someone would vote for him in 2020 Joe has got all his problems I get it but like I don't know let go of politics Aaron let go of politics. My garden's doing well. Blah, blah, blah Doesn't it sound so like stupid to be talking about things of like no substance when the world is burning? Dude, Bernie Sanders had the best line of the DNC. He said, "Um, he goes while Rome burned, or he said he said Rome fiddled while, n- or excuse me, near." <laughs> okay. <sighs> Try again. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Trump golfs. I mean, that's like a mic drop moment. And like, also really speaks to what people like Bernie think is happening. I mean, he compared our current republic to the fall of Rome, which people have been doing for a decade now. Remember 2012? I read this book. By a guy, uh, what's his name? Doesn't matter. He wrote a book, uh, twenty twelve, The Return of Quetzalcoatl, which Quetzalcoatl was, um, I think, in, uh, I think he was Mayan. It must be Mayan because it's the Mayan prophecy of twenty twelve. If you are listening to this and you were like, if, if you're not my age, twenty twelve was a big deal because the Mayan calendar ended in some capacity. Like they had these big cycles of their calendar very advanced civilization um, to what I, my understanding, but I read this book in like 2010, 2011. And I, if I had like maybe a 40% confidence that the world was going to end on December 23rd, 2012. Is that embarrassing? Yes. I just graduated college. Um, Somehow I'd learned about this in like my freshman or sophomore year. Somehow I like be, got into the zeitgeist, and this is like one of the original conspiracy theories. Think of the consp- the level of conspiracy theory that has been developed because of the internet. Do you know what I mean? But also on the other side of it, think about uh, in my personal experience. I think I've learned more on the internet than I ever did in school. I learned how to build my van. I've learned how to teach yoga well. I've learned um, about history. I've learned about nutrition and wellness i mean i've learned more on the internet than i have anything else um you know my teachers didn't the, the structure of a classroom is not the, the structure of a modern classroom which is was created in the industrial revolution um the structure of it like seated in rows we go by bells all that stuff like that's very um industrial which again like people bring this up, but they're not in the classroom. So they don't really know what the current state of education is. That is not what the best teachers are doing right now. Um, but that, that mode that you and I went through when it comes to public school, you know, I didn't learn that much. Um, I didn't connect with my teachers. It was hard for me. It was challenging for me to like stay in the game and, you know, and to learn anything because i was more focused on socialization um which has served me in my adult life but you know i'm playing some catch up and some things and case in point the podcast is coming out on monday my wife told me that i i missed the day where they taught spelling i must have missed a lot of days and even when i was there someone with adhd like my parents never medicated me or took me to therapy for adhd and like if you can't tell from this podcast I have ADHD <laughs> and uh, and like it's hard for someone like that to learn. And so I didn't. And that's because the structure of the classroom wasn't conducive to my learning style. And I can't you can't expect I teach 110 students. I can't personalize that to each student. We need more teachers, better paid teachers, more qualified teachers. Um, and I get frustrated when uh, people in the world think they know what teaching is. Um, and you know, what's really interesting. And, you know, Katie and I were talking about this because as I mentioned, she's a first grade teacher. She and I were talking about this in the spring, uh, you know, two weeks into the remote learning process, which was very flawed because the rug was pulled out from educators and the whole world, frankly. And we had two days to build a curriculum for five weeks that would be done online. And so like, say what you will about the spring semester of 2020, but we really did do our best and we worked and tried to get it done and it was okay, but not great. I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit that it could have been better, but we also didn't have much time. Right. And so the thing that's really interesting is that, you know, I'm still teaching, I'm still doing videos. And like, we didn't know that what we didn't know was, how to make it equitable because in my school district, there are some very privileged families and there are some, um, under resourced families. And what that leads to typically is you have a parent in a privileged family, a kid who has a parent at home, or maybe they don't have a parent at home and they're 13 so they can stay at home by themselves, but they have, you know, an office that they can work in. And there's only two kids in the household, right? Um, or, you know, the parents can, uh, help them in the evenings because the parents, uh, aren't working two jobs and super stressed out and full of anxiety and their bodies don't feel like crap because they've been convinced that eating McDonald's is not that big of a deal. And so that's what privileged families had the experience of. Uh, and, and if they have a parent at home, oh my goodness, could you imagine, could you imagine you have a professional teacher building a curriculum and then a parent that can help you walk through it? Like, versus some kids in my district don't have access to the internet. And we had to send out my devices, which are these small, like internet pucks that give you the internet because there are remote spaces here. And then I had some kids whose parents, like I had some kids who didn't live with their parents and they were sort of like flopping in aunts and uncles houses in you know, intermittently at different places. So like, How is that equitable? And so that was one of the big challenges in the spring of like trying to figure out how to do this equitably. And, um, I think we did our best, but unfortunately the best wasn't perfect. Um, which is like everything our best wasn't quite perfect. And so looking into, um, possibly going home, I mean, we're starting school in my school district after labor day, we will be in the classroom, but who knows for how long, uh, hopefully it's as long as possible, because I think that, um, it's better for kids to be in the classroom, but I think it's probable that we'll go home. And I think it's probable that we'll do the remote learning way better than we did in the spring. Hopefully they'll give us some more time, but I'm prepping. And I, most of the teachers that I'm talking to are already prepping for going home at some point. We're kind of like setting the stage in the first week or two, I'll be, um, kind of giving my kids like the, um, Giving them the tools they'll need to be successful at home so that they can stay interfaced with me, which I think is a real blessing that we get the opportunity to meet our kids because if we had started the school year as just being a face on the screen with no personality, no love, no like sharing, no, no like human to human, I think it would have been worse. So I think that it's probably a good thing that we came in uh, or that we plan to come in uh, for a while at least. But uh, the reason I started talking about this is because in the spring of last year, again, though the system was flawed, parents realized how challenging it is to get kids to learn things that they don't know and that they may or may not be interested in. And so, in the spring, we had this like uproar of people like, "Thank you, teachers, for what you do." Um, We didn't know that it was like this. I mean, I've I've talked to I talked to many parents because you know the yoga studio closed a little bit after. Um, the schools did. And so I had contact with some people in the community and they're like, Oh my goodness, like this is a whole different ball of wax. And that might be very much because, you know, they're trying to juggle their job as well as juggle the education of their kids. Right. So, you know, I take that and I hear it, but I think the, the bigger point was that they realized that getting kids to learn is not as easy as like, I think a lot of people thought we were just babysitting and showing videos and giving worksheets. And that is not what my classroom looks like, and that is not what the, the classrooms of some of the best teachers that I know look like. It's some teachers don't get it twisted. There are some teachers out there that are mailing it in and um or they're not mailing it in, and they they are working really hard, but they just don't have just like, "You know, I can't dunk. I've tried, tried many times. I can't dunk." And it's sad. And some teachers can't dunk. Do you know what I mean? Metaphorically speaking. And now coming into the fall, it's like you hear all this rhetoric of like, do your job. You you already got three months of vacation. Like, do your job. And I get that. I get that. Because people didn't stop working. You know, teachers, I took, I had two months off. I had the summer off. I was working in the spring, um, albeit in a very different way, but in the summer, I was off. People were still working, but um, a lot of people weren't working, unfortunately. 30 million unemployed Americans. So crazy. As of mid-August 2020. So crazy. 30 million. And so people were, people have their gripes. I get it. But, um, you know, I I wouldn't assume that I know what it's like to be a doctor. I wouldn't assume that I know what it's like to be an electrician. I wouldn't ass- I, like I wouldn't go in and say like, "Hey man, you should be wiring the house the way I think you should wire the house." It's like, dude, what, uh, are you educated in working with electricity? You know what I mean um like I wouldn't I can't I can't go to Taco Bell and say listen guys the way you need to be doing these tacos and taking these orders is xyz and what I really don't like is that you're not doing your job. It's like dude you don't work here. Like how do you get to say so though I get it I am a public servant which means I serve the public and the public has a right to have input but it's like you don't know what it looks like. You don't know what, come into my, I invite you. You gotta go through background checks and stuff and you gotta be vetted because school's very serious about that sort of thing. I invite you to see what we do in my classroom. I love being a teacher. It gives me value. I know that it's useful. Um, and maybe I'm a little, I th- I'm probably coming across a little sensitive here. That's okay. It's serious, it's my profession. Yeah, it's my profession, dude. How, how mad did doctors probably get when people come in? And and so my wife got her appendix taken out in the middle of Texas. That's a whole story that I don't have time for today, but we were traveling and we're in the middle of nowhere, an hour and a half from hospital. And my wife's like, I think I have appendicitis. And I'm like, okay, that's terrible. And so we had to drive and like, blah, blah, blah. We get there. I'll tell you the story another time. But, um, we get to the doctor and um which was like a whole that was a whole experience in and of itself and we say you know we googled the symptoms and uh, all the symptoms line up with appendicitis and he's like ah doctor google <laughs> and it ha- and so like as i reflect on all of the grievances that i just aired on people being critical of public teachers and public education in this time where it's like public education is really part of the conversation I think that it's probably really hard for doctors too as information becomes more freely available and, um, you know, scientists are giving information out and like we have access to all of this information. Um, you know, you become more informed on what, what's going on with bodies and wellness, but you're not really like, we're not, we're not doctors. I didn't go through all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? So If I were a doctor, I would be really aggravated with people getting on WebMD and saying, I think I should get this treatment. It's like, dude, you're not a doctor, man. I went to school for this. And I'm $130,000 in debt so I could be your doctor. Don't tell me what Google said. So, I don't know. I don't know. What do you do? I'd be interested to hear what you do and if people complain about it. Um yeah. And teachers, dude, I've been on this rap for a while of thinking like because I live a very comfortable life because I don't have kids. Um, so my wife and I are both public school teachers. We make about forty thousand dollars a year each. And um that has been fine. You know, we save, we're not in crazy debt, like uh we have a lot of student loan debt, which is like I have more student loan debt than what I earn in a year. So wrap your head around that. But, um, you know, we live comfortably and I've always, you know, asked me two years ago, like do teachers get paid enough? I'm like, yeah, I get paid enough. I'm good. But now that we're talking about like buying a house and having kids and, you know, settling into that sort of thing and kind of letting go of the travel for a bit. It's like, we don't make enough money. I mean, how many people get to have Uh, a a parent at home with the kids like how much of a benefit is it to have a mom or a dad at home with their kids like that's there is no greater privilege in life and that is not available for public school teachers um it's just not available and uh, i had this idea once because i do live in a very privileged community and i'm blessed to do so because it makes when there's economic resources in an area it makes everybody's life better even you know um, people who aren't of the higher economic bracket in the area, everybody's life gets better. Um, and there's research to support that. Um, and so I had this idea once I thought about this is like in the last year when I really started thinking about like, I, it's crazy that I get paid when I get paid. In fact, Virginia is if you took all of the people who have a college degree and the level of education that I have and my wife has and working in a public-facing, serious profession, you took all those people, put them in a pile, teachers make, on average, 35% less than those individuals. Yeah, so 35% less. So, if, so uh, in that category would be people like... Um, I guess a dental hygienist probably has four years of college, um, people that are working in business, people that are... Um, in administrative roles or um administrative assistants and stuff like that if you take all of the people with four years of education that are working in a public-facing professional job teachers make 35 percent less than them isn't that crazy at least in virginia some states are better than ours ours is one of the worst for that um which is crazy that's just insane doesn't make any sense doesn't make any sense. And Trump's talking, talked about a couple weeks or a month so back. If we don't send teachers back to school, he's going to defund the public education. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And then he calls defunding the police an insane idea, which, like, I don't know enough. I don't know enough to have a strong opinion on that. But how is defunding or l- reducing the funding of the bedrock? of a thriving democracy is the access to a free and fair public education. That is the bedrock of our democracy, access to a free and fair public education system. And you're going to try and take money away. It's so crazy. And, um, so I had this idea once I was like, I should just make flyers anonymously and take them to the wealthy neighborhoods that, um, I can't afford to live in, but my kids live in and my peers live in. My professional peers live in, not my teaching peers, but my, you know, people that are in similarly challenging professions. Um, I have, I've thought about making a flyer anonymous, anonymously, and just saying, um, I teach the children in this community. And at the time I was making $38,000 a year when I had this idea, I just crested, like, actually, I think I make like $40,000 and like some change, but at the time I was making like 38, five, I was like, I am a teacher in your community, and I make $38,000 a year. Dude, apparently Biden wants to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, which sounds like a great idea, but that means that people that work at um, Walmart greeters make $5 less an hour than I do. I make $20 an hour if you parse out $40 a year, $40,000 a year. So what does that mean? Does that mean that public school teachers are gonna get paid more? I don't know. This is like a gripe fest. These are, these are things that people don't know though. They do like the people, people hear the phrase when I, when I, when I tell people that I'm a public school teacher, two things happen. One, they ask what grade I teach and I tell them that I teach eighth grade. And then they're like, Oh my God, how do you do it? Or they're like, Oh, that's an interesting age, which is like sort of insulting to the kids. (laughs) Um, because it tells me that kids don't like people, parents and teachers, you know, it tells me that adults tend not to like 13 year olds, which is just like, you have no idea what, what a 13 year old can offer. You obviously don't know what these kids are capable of. Um, but the, um, sorry, I got distracted by a text, but, and then, so that's the first thing I hear. And then the second thing I typically hear is, um, Oh, thank you for what you do. You guys don't get paid enough. And I'm like, you have the ability to fix that. <laughs> you are a citizen in this community. If you think that we don't get paid enough, you are free to notify the school boards and your public elect- publicly elected officials and say, I think the teaching profession deserves more funding. Boom. There you go. Like you have that power. Um, so uh, and I never say that to people, but I think I'm going to start because those are the two responses that I get. Either they're like, Oh, 13 year olds. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. You're, you must be, you must be really hard for you, which it is, but it's also extremely rewarding to see what a 13 year old is capable of and to see how like nimble their minds are. It's unreal. I could do a whole podcast just talking about that. And then they say, you guys should get paid more. It's like, well, why don't you do something about it? Because this is not an active form of activism by telling a teacher you don't get paid enough. It's also just sort of insulting to say that to somebody. (laughs) Like, it's like, just like, it's like you're poor, right? You work really hard and don't get paid enough. Hmm. My mom, my mom would work three jobs at a time to make sure that I could eat cheese and mustard sandwiches. I went through a period where I ate beans and rice for two months. I know what poor is. And I'm not poor as a public school teacher, but if they want, I don't know what they want. If they're good, if they pay us more going I have to start firing teachers though, because the, um, but also how do you even fire a teacher? Like how do you qualify and quantify the quality of a teacher? Because in some school districts you have amazing school teachers and administration but you know they just the kids are in a space where they're like not into it and they have high dropout rates and low test scores so it's like how is it that you can penalize the teachers for that and that's what the no child left behind the gap in that system was which was if you are uh, fall behind on test scores you lose funding like your funding goes down um, and if you do well on test scores they increase your funding which is like you know, it's like the Matthew principle I've heard Jordan Peterson talk about this. To those who have everything, everything will be given, and to those who have nothing, everything will be taken. Which is the opposite of what we should be doing. Um so yeah, I don't know how you qualify and quantify what a, a good teacher is. Doesn't seem to be test scores. And the things, the qualitative differences that you make in a child's life don't have a metric that you can um, you know aggregate all the data together and say, this teacher increased the well-being of students by 15%. Like you just don't have that data. So I don't know, but if they pay us more, they're going to have to be, um, there's, if they pay us more, there will be even higher expectations, which is fine because we can meet those expectations. Um, and we're going back to school, man. Let's do it, baby. Ready, set, go. One of my colleagues at my school posted, um, you know, there's like cute little sandwich board, pin board things where they have like black felt and a wooden frame and white letters that you push in. Um, she wrote on it a quote from Hagrid, which was, um, we're not sure what's coming, but we know that when it gets here, we'll be ready for it or something to that effect. And I was like, that is a beautiful message to be spreading out into the world. Like, we don't know what the future holds, but we have faith in our abilities to deal with those issues as they come. That's what I try to teach my students. That's what I try and teach my yoga students that's what I try to live is like you don't have to know everything in order to start moving start moving and have the faith that you've built the power inside of yourself to take care of things as they come I think that's where I'm a it, guys we're right in an hour so um, yeah that one was fun felt good I'll catch you all in the next one about it number nine up on number ten here, having fun with it. So, uh, if you're interested, uh, email me at hello at aaronwayneyoga dot com. Website's aaronwayneyoga dot and follow me on Instagram, Aaron Wayne Yoga, and we'll see you on the next one.